this is the kind of thing that we're hoping to get more into as a company to help people understand how these inputs are affecting their sleep beyond light so that eventually more people can uh, sleep better without having to resort to drugs or you know any expensive therapies. That's our ultimate goal. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. Okay, so here we are, week three of quarantine. That's so crazy to think that it's been three weeks like this. Yeah. So tell me what's new with you over there. You know, what's what what is quarantine done for you lately? I mean, honestly, because a lot of the work that I do is from home or freelance kind of stuff, it actually, like, technically on paper, I think doesn't look too different, except I do feel really relieved at all of the the schedule openings that I, I'm, I'm really good at filling, stuff like that, um, especially in the evenings. I like to go to dance classes or, like, I was in a, I was in a play before all of everything got canceled. Um, I'm just kind of sad that I can't be in that play, but I do really appreciate the the open time. Um, I think I have felt a lot less pressure on myself. Um, I don't know. It's just it's a weird thing to balance with knowing, you know, the how sick people are and how hard the healthcare workers are all working. Um, balanced with my own sense of like peace that I've found, but. I think that's just the way that it is. And I think that a lot of people probably feel that way. Yes, I I, I think that's true. And um, there's definitely a flip side of the whole thing, as with everything. But for me, I, I think I have found, um, I found it very freeing to be, um, not not feel like you have to go somewhere. In fact, to be told, told not to go places. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's given me the opportunity to, um, do lots of things. One of the things is I've been, I've been cleaning stuff out. I've been sort of deep diving into, uh, house projects. And one of them was this, this idea I had to go through my bookshelves and really look at books that I've been saving forever and decide if I need to do to do that. So, it's been really fun. I've made some wonderful discoveries. It's been like a, a treasure hunt. And also I've um I've done a lot of deeper space care in there, in terms of like decluttering and organizing and just continuing to um refine our living spaces so they, they feel 
just better and better. Yeah. And to take a page out of your book, um, you just said that you have more time for that stuff, but it's not like you have more time. You've just true all of a sudden been able to give yourself permission to use that time differently or whatever, or I don't know what it is, but you don't have – no. none of us have more time. We just feel like we do. That's so true. Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's just decisions about what we're going to do. And this, you know, this – a directive don't don't leave your house don't go places certainly helps that you know you don't think oh i need to go over to you know need to go out to load yeah and find some paint or whatever um even though those places are open now and and we have we've done some painting as well we're painting yeah furniture and it's yeah we're getting a lot of things done so that's good but of course as you said um our thoughts and our hearts go out to those that are really working hard at the front lines to um, alleviate pain and suffering and those that are sick and to those yeah. that, you know, have have died and those that have lost their jobs and those that are really terrified about what's to come and the economic scenario. All these things are unknowns. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're all in this boat pretty much together. Okay, so in terms of today's episode, it's so interesting to me how so much of the content we've been shaping over the last months and years seems to be more relevant now than even when we were creating it. I mean, two years ago, I subtitled my book, Cultivating Sustainable Simplicity Close to Home. And at that point, I was speaking to a fringe movement of those people that were seeking alternatives to broken consumer systems, and perhaps a way to return to a simpler, more authentic way of being. Well, the book finally became available to our audience just last week when the whole world was being told to stay at home. Yeah, and we've been talking about the flawed food and fashion systems for like over three years since we started, and then all of a sudden today, we're all bracing ourselves for the possible breakdown of the supply chains that could create a scenario of this widespread scarcity that some of us have felt with things like the toilet paper and the flour and things that are kind of funny, but um, not actually funny because they could be very real. Um, So yeah, everyone's so desperate to know what to do about it right now. And I've noticed that two of the hottest topics on the internet and on social media are sourdough baking and gardening, which are some of our favorite things to talk about. So people suddenly want to learn how to provide for themselves. And it's kind of cool. It's not like that I think we at Lady Farmer foresaw all of this coming. I feel like we've been riding a wave with many others and that it's been building offshore, more like a, a collective foreshadowing that's been leading up to this moment. And now that wave, so to speak, has broken and we've all sort of been dumped on the beach, kind of dazed and wondering what's next. Our episode today is a a great example of this. And if we're talking about being ahead of the curve, that would certainly apply to our guest, Greg Yader whose lifelong fascination with light has led him on an entrepreneurial path to developing the bedtime bulb. This is a simple science-backed but easily accessible and effective tool for promoting better sleep. 
Greg began studying the links between blue light and human health at Drexel University in Philly, and his research and the research has shown that lights that give off blue wavelengths, which includes LED and fluorescent lights, as well as electronic screens, like we've all been hearing about our phone screens and computer screens, that all messes with humans' biological clocks and negatively impacts sleep. So when he realized that his passion for light could be used to solve a health problem and positively impact people, he knew he'd found his career path. Greg developed the bedtime bulb to be as bright as a 40-watt incandescent light bulb. So it's LED but designed to emit very little blue light and to not flicker. In 2019, he was a finalist for Amazon's first U.S. Small Business Spotlight Awards, and he finished in the top five out of 1,300 entrants. But before we get into that, let's back up a little bit and take a look at how the role of sleep seems to have taken more of a front seat in the whole discussion around wellness. Yeah, as you'll hear Greg mention, um, health advocates have mostly talked about diet and exercise as the dual pillars of a healthy lifestyle, if you will. And although we've all been taught that sleep is important, there always seemed to be more focus on what and how much you ate and how you moved and so forth. So just think of the industries that have evolved around these two things, the diet programs, the fitness centers, the gyms, the books, the supplements, the list goes on and on. Our battle for health has been dominated by an effort to fight off chronic disease, um, which has plagued us and have, has been increasing exponentially over the last three decades. The heart disease, diabetes, cancer, obesity, all the autoimmune disorders, dementia, Alzheimer's, all of these things. And for lack of a better understanding about what's been causing all of these conditions, it could be chemicals in our food. It could be chemicals in the things we use daily, cell phones, EMFs. No one can really say, but improving our diet and getting regular exercise has been the mantra of disease prevention. Yeah, so then now, so suddenly, with the threat to our public health shifting from chronic disease to a virus that's all of a sudden appearing all over the globe, there's been this big shift in language. It seems like the concept of fitness has been replaced by, quote-unquote, boosting your immunity, which previously concerned us mostly in warding off pesky colds and flu, like take echinacea, zinc at the start of a cold, you know drink hot soup, all of those things. Um, but now those things could be the key to our survival. Um, the recent recognition of the role of our microbiome, the universe of microorganisms in the human gut is being recognized as ground zero of our immune systems. And so many other things, it seems, have contributed so much to our understanding. We're getting that immunity is more than just a supplement. It's a sum total of many things working in sync to keep us alive. And what are we constantly being told are the most important components of a healthy immune system? We've been hearing it over and over again for the last three weeks at least. Good food, sunlight, and good sleep. We're beginning to appreciate how sleep is more than just a break from being awake, even though experts have been telling this, us this forever. We're starting to pay attention. Sleep is actually a period of healing and regeneration for our bodies that's essential to sustaining life. 
I don't know about you, but somewhere along the line, I became indoctrinated with the idea that geniuses didn't sleep very much. The fact that has been embedded in my brain since I was a kid was that Einstein only slept a couple of hours a night. I never really thought about it a lot, but that idea sort of lingered as an incentive or kind of permission to get less sleep so that I could, quote, get more done. I think anybody's in the habit of staying up past the rest of the world knows the wonderful temptation of those late, quiet hours until, of course, uh, the body can take no more and you have to go to bed. But anyway, remembering all this, I decided to do a little Googling and discovered that the sleep patterns of our of our most well-known geniuses is actually varied. It turns out that Einstein was a big fan of sleep. Um, he insisted on a solid 10 hours a night plus power naps during the day. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was actually Thomas Edison that thought sleep was a waste of time. I guess I had him mixed up. And he utilized the power nap technique um, as a way of gaining more waking hours around the clock so he could continue working and inventing and doing everything he was doing. And this is really interesting given the fact that his invention of the light bulb is the very thing that brought artificial lighting into our homes about 100 years ago. And now... We're learning so much more about how light affects our body's natural cycles of activity and rest, um, or our circadian rhythm, it's called, and how our body function and overall health is profoundly affected by light. So that brings us back to Greg and how his obsession with light from an early age intersected with the understanding of sleep dysfunction in our society and the role that artificial light plays in that. This is where he's been ahead of the curve and why today his product, The Bedtime Bulb, could be an important thing to add in your own, quote-unquote, immune fitness program. Greg is going to explain some things about this, and though it might seem like it gets a little technical at certain points, remember it's especially important for us to be informed and understand these fundamentals of good health. Here's a 20-second primer on light that might help you get started in this conversation. Remember Roy G. Biv from probably your middle school science class. Those are the beginning letters of all the colors of the light spectrum in order of how they appear. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. So natural daylight provided by the sun, of course, provides the full spectrum. But as sunlight wanes, the light gradually shifts toward the warmer end of the spectrum and natural light, such as firelight, moon stars, are all emanating from the yellow and red end. And our ancient bodies, before artificial lighting, are conditioned to this. And that's our entire system prepares itself for sleep. The artificial lighting that's ubiquitous in our homes now, including light bulbs, television, phone, iPad, and computer screens, extends our exposure to those daylight blue lights, therefore disrupting this innate clock we all possess that is facilitating our daily restoration and healing. And so with all that, we're going to turn to our conversation with Greg regarding this important information about our health, our sleep health, when at this time, like no other in any of our lifetimes, we want to do everything we can to help our bodies stay balanced and well.
a lifelong light enthusiast. My first word was light. And to keep a long story short, for the past 10 years now, I've been researching the effects of light on health mostly. Within the past 20 years or so, we have learned that light can have an impact on the human circadian rhythm. And we actually knew about it before that, but we now know about the mechanism. And this is why people are talking about blue light uh, affecting sleep now. And there's also concerns about blue light um, on ecological patterns. There's blue light eye strain. And some people are concerned that blue light is damaging retinas. And from every, everything I'm able to gather, not all of that is 100% true, or there's a bit of nuance into a lot of the discussion. And a lot of companies are taking advantage of the blue light message to sell a product, especially glasses companies are really uh, milking this topic and selling products that are not very effective. But uh, there is a lot of nuance to the discussion. And without getting too technical, hopefully I can bring some light to the discussion. So your first word was light? Yes, apparently. <laughs> I, I, I've only heard uh, the story, but yes. Uh, that's what my parents say. And I was always uh, kind of obsessed with like reaching for the light switch or um, when I was at the library, I would always be looking up at the ceiling instead of listening to the person reading the book. Um, so it's kind of a lifelong passion, I guess. And at what point did that turn from a passion and just innate interest into more of a like entrepreneurial sort of scientific research that you've obviously been doing to build up to where you are now? So in college, I found this lab in my first year. Um, so I went to Drexel University, uh, which is in Philadelphia, where I still live. And my major was electrical engineering. But I found this research lab called the Deluxe Light Lab, D-L-U-X. And they were specifically looking at the impacts of light on health. And at the time, we were most concerned with dementia and Alzheimer's disease because um, people who have those conditions are typically, they typically have a really inconsistent circadian rhythm or sleep cycle. So they tend to, you know, wake up at very random times and go to sleep at very random times. So this is one of the main symptoms of Alzheimer's or dementia is the circadian rhythm disorder, as I would call it. And we were hoping to use some of the latest research on light to impact dementia. And the knowledge at the time was a little bit less than it is today. This was ar around 2010, 11, when I started working in this lab. Um, but effectively, we were trying to give the patients uh, pretty bright, stimulating white light during the day. And at night, we would try to make the light as red as possible. And the reason for those two colors was that uh, white light, typically like daylight colored light, you know, you might go to the store and buy these uh, daylight colored light bulbs, for example. That white light tends to have a lot of blue content within it. Um, so 
the theory was that if we gave them more blue than what they were usually getting, it might give their body clocks the daytime signal that they need to kind of simulate the effect of sunlight. And similarly, at night, we would use red light because it was a nursing facility. So you still need to have um, nurses come in to deal with the patients for various reasons. So the nurses still need to be able to see, but pure red light doesn't have any blue content in it. So in theory, this would not interrupt the circadian rhythm. So a lot of our research at the time was uh, looking at this effect and trying to develop a research experiment that would help these people. Thank you for explaining that. Honestly, I just haven't really ever thought about light this much, except I know personally that I'm super sensitive to it. So like bright fluorescent overhead lights. Um, My boyfriend gets super frustrated with me. Like I'm always turning off lights in our house. (laughs) Um, At night, I need it like totally dark. I'm curious, what was your major in college? Why were you researching this stuff? I went to Drexel and I studied electrical engineering. And actually the reason that I got into electrical engineering was that I wanted to build uh, lighting controllers, which are um, basically electronic devices that can make lights turn on and off. So it's kind of been a whole theme throughout my life to do um, lighting things. But when I joined this lab, I really saw that I could combine my interest with an actual potential need. And from there, I just became really obsessed with solving the problem. And that led me on this entrepreneurial career in developing healthy lighting products. For those listening to us today who might have only like a vague understanding of the components of light and how it affects us during the day. Can you give just a real basic explanation of, of the whole issue beginning with um, just the, na- the nature of light and how artificial lighting alters that? Now, the impacts go a bit beyond the visible appearance of light. And for the purposes of health, we're actually concerned with both blue and green light. And this blue and green light has been shown to have an impact on the circadian rhythm. So the circadian rhythm is our body clock. Uh, The main thing that it tells us to do is when to go to bed and or when to feel tired and when to feel awake so that we can wake up. But it also plays a number of other roles in the body and it governs a whole bunch of different cycles, everything from Uh, sub-hourly cycles all the way up to things like menstrual cycles. So it's not just a 24-hour day rhythm. It's also a sub-24 and a larger than 24-hour rhythm. And the impacts of circadian rhythm disruption are super wide. In the short term, you have things like fatigue, but in the long term, chronic sleep deprivation or circadian rhythm disruption can actually play a role in a bunch of degenerative diseases such as cancer, diabetes, and Alzheimer's disease. So it's, this is one of the reasons why they say it's important to get a lot of sleep 
so that you prevent these diseases and you prevent accidents. Uh, but the underlying mechanism behind this is the circadian rhythm. Is it true that we can actually be unaware of the quality of sleep we're getting besides like I think sometimes it's actually hard to tell if you're not getting enough sleep um, due to circadian disruption just from personal experience and people that I know but is this is this something that you see scientifically kind of chronically people not understanding how important their circadian rhythm is absolutely one of the things that I hear a lot is people in the health space generally talk about diet and exercise and um, a lot of people even talk about, you know, well, I need to get up at 4 or 5 a.m. to go to the gym, you know, and get on with the day. And, and A-type people, you know, get up early and uh, crush it and hustle. Well, the problem with this is that people have different chronotypes. The chronotype is basically uh, whether you're an early bird uh kind of an average chronotype or a night owl. So do you tend to wake up early, tend to wake up at a normal time or a night owl? And it can be really unhealthy for somebody like a night owl to try to be waking up so early in the morning to uh, exercise or do anything when really the optimal sleep pattern for them would be to sleep in and then get started to work when they would wake up more naturally. So... They sounds like the health effects of the um, circadian rhythm disruption are so pervasive that we hardly even can detect them. So on the flip side, how do we know that our circadian rhythm is, is working well, um, it, that we feel good and, and we you know, are healthy and no illnesses or, but beyond that, um, it, are there some indications that, that, yeah, we're, you know, things, things are in sync. There's kind of this, you know, the old wives tale of getting eight hours of sleep and the actual range of sleep might be more in the range of seven to nine hours, depending on the individual. So I'm, I know that I actually need, uh, closer to nine hours in bed, uh, to get, uh, an optimal light, night of sleep at around eight hours, but individual people might need more or less than the recommended eight hours. However, a lot of people think that they can get by on just four or six hours of sleep. The, the research has found that less than 1% of the population can actually survive on less than six hours of sleep. So statistically, if you're listening to this and you sleep less than six hours, you are most likely deluding yourself and you're not giving your body the chance to recover. And it's not just about it. Sleep is not something that is just wasted time. When we go to sleep, there are actually a number of really critical functions happening in the body, namely the restoration of uh, certain damaged cells, as well as uh, consolidation of memory uh, and things like this. So this is one of the reasons that you should not uh, pull an all-nighter before an exam is that the sleep actually plays a critical role in memory formation. And you're probably going to do better on the test if you call it quits early and go to sleep and then wake up because your critical reasoning factors will 
uh, be a lot better on the test if you do it that way. I'd love to circle it back around to something that you said earlier about your research and your work with light and in the lab studying the effects on um, degenerative diseases. You kind of realized that you could combine your passion for the science of light with helping people and serving a need. Um, so can you speak more to that and maybe go into um, what that has become for you in your entrepreneurial endeavors? While I was working at the lab, I found that we could, we knew how to solve the problem, at least to some extent, of giving people blue light input during the day and then minimizing the blue light input at night to promote circadian rhythm entrainment. But I realized that even though we knew how to solve the problem, we didn't really have good tools to solve the problem. And I saw an opportunity to go out and try to test these solutions in the market. So at the time, starting in about 2012 or 13, I would say, uh, we started developing a lighting system that would automatically uh, give you bright light during the day and uh, minimize the bright light interaction at night. And that was uh, my first entrepreneurial endeavor. So the idea was trying to distill the essence of uh, this idea into a simple and affordable product that people could uh, try out on their own. And through a lot of customer development, I came up with the concept of bedtime bulb and bedtime bulb is a light bulb that you use in the evening before you go to sleep. And what it does is it reduces most of the blue and green light that would impact the circadian rhythm. So you can still do what you would normally do in the evening, but it's providing less of an impact uh, on sleep than normal lighting would. And we're hoping to keep growing with the market as more and more people become aware of the blue light issue but also learn about the nuances, know that it's not just blue light is bad. It's, it's much more nuanced than that. Blue light is actually good in certain ways. Um, you know, we want to grow with that market to educate the market and to ultimately be um, to provide the high quality solution to the problem. What's kind of the difference between the bedtime bulb and then just buying like a softer like low watt bulb at the hardware store, which is what I normally do because as I mentioned earlier, I'm super sensitive to bright lights. So I'm just like, I'm going to be like in the aisle, what's the softest kind of like, you know, yellowy light. Um, Cause I don't really know scientifically why is the bedtime bulb different? Sure. It's hard to say on a case by case basis because there are good examples of soft lights out there but most of them will still have a lot higher circadian input than our product does. Uh, we specifically designed our product to be bright enough to do things like read under. That was actually the main use case was uh, like a reading light, uh, but while reducing the melanopic input, the circadian input. Can you tell us a little bit, a bit about LED lights and, and you know, Personally, I've heard such conflicting things about them um, that, you know, they're good and then they're not so good. And so what can you say about LED lights? Sure. So I'll be 100% transparent that Bedtime Bulb is actually based on LED technology. So I think that will 
you know, put, give you an idea that not all LEDs are bad. There's a lot of misinformation about LEDs out there. Most of these studies around blue light that are claiming retinal damage have been done in a Petri dish in a lab. And um, the, the issue is that the eye actually has protective mechanisms against blue light. And uh, when they do the study in the, in the Petri dish, the, the light tends to be very intense, like almost like a laser. And they're like basically shining a bright blue laser at an unprotected eye cell. Of course, it's going to get damaged, right? Um, but our bodies actually have this incredible protective mechanism. And we're not, um, we're still learning about it. So it's hard to say for sure all of the implications. But I don't think eye damage is something to be too worried about yet. With that said, um, the circadian impact is very real. And there's also concern about the effect of all of these LED outdoor lights that are going in now, especially street lighting, that is potentially disrupting things like bird migration patterns. However, that's a really, um, that's like a really nuanced topic and um, we're still learning about it. So it's hard to say all of the impacts. LEDs are not necessarily bad. There are definitely good and bad examples out there. We try to, we've actually engineered one of the best uh, LED technologies um, in our bedtime bulb, not only from the circadian uh, rhythm perspective, but also in terms of color quality and, and in terms of getting rid of flicker. But it's hard to say on a case-by-case -case basis with LEDs. I guess like most things, um, it's really a lot more complicated than we, we tend to make things. Yes. Um, you know, things are either good or bad or black or white. And but when really things are a lot more, you know, much more layered than that. And so that's a very good explanation. Thank you. So basically the bedtime bulb is a well-engineered warm light LED. Is that Correct. accurate? And it's um, in addition to just being a, you know, well-engineered warm light, so to speak, it actually, we deliberately reduce the, uh, melanopic input, the circadian input, um, while balancing really high color quality. So effectively what this does is it allows you to uh, read with very good visual acuity, um, but it, it, the light is actually not as bright as like a typical light that you would use for reading. Um, so it's kind of a, it's like an engineering trick we did basically um, that enables you to uh, you know, see really well in a lower light. Um, and not all warm lights are going to do this, um, including LEDs. Greg, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, there are a lot of products out there now. Um, and there's a lot of blue light is a very buzzy word. Um, you know, we're all warned about looking at our phones at night and all of these things. Uh, a product in particular that comes to mind that you also mentioned is the the blue light blocker glasses. Um, I was actually about to purchase a pair when my boyfriend actually said, you know, <laughs> those things are kind of a lot of talk and I don't know how much they do. Um, and so I didn't and I read some articles, um, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say about those, if they are as effective and helpful as they claim to be. It depends. There, there are a lot of uh, mainstream glasses manufacturers that are trying to sell the blue light coating for glasses now. Um, I don't need to name any names, but they're all pretty much doing it. 
And the thing is, if the blue light coating doesn't significantly change the color of the lens, it's probably not doing anything uh, or very little. Um, we've actually studied this and most of the lenses that we've studied that are still clear, but they um, claim to reduce blue light, only reduce blue light by about 10%. And that is not really enough to do it, to have any effect uh, in terms of uh, sleep cycles or eye strain. And actually, the most of the researchers on eye strain uh, using computers, they actually think that the effect is not due to blue light. It's more just due to our staring at the light and um, some of the other effects of the light, including the, the way the light flashes, uh, the flicker of the light. So what I would say is if you are getting regular glasses and they try to sell you a blue light coating, don't select that option because it doesn't do anything. Um, and you also want blue light during the day. Uh, like you should, like today is a really nice day and I need to get outside. Um, and like on a daylight today, you really want to get that blue light input. So you don't want to be uh, using something that's going to remove blue light. Now, there are blue light blocking glasses that tend to have like a more yellow or orange or sometimes even red lens, um, where like the lens is actually yellow or orange or red. Like it significantly changes the color. Those actually do work. Um, progressively, the, the yellow lenses uh, give you pretty much the same effect as the bedtime bulb where they're reducing a lot of the blue light, but not all of it. Um, the orange lenses, uh, remove most of the blue and green light, and then the red lenses uh, pretty much remove all of it. But the thing is that um, we found that most people found that the more red you go, the, the less practical it is. Um, so if you are looking at blue blocking glasses, I would say the, the ones with kind of like a deep yellow lens are probably the best. Um, but avoid the ones that have clear lenses or um, only faintly yellow lenses. And um, only if you're like really nerdy about it, should you try the orange or red lenses. You point out that we need blue light during the day. Um, and I think it's easy for us to get caught up in these sound bites like blue light is bad, but no, blue light is part of the normal daylight spectrum that you need. So you don't want to block it. You just want to block it when at, at night when the sun goes down. You think of the, um, you know, our ancestors before our artificial light, the light that they were exposed to, it was either sunlight or at night it was firelight or moonlight or starlight or whatever. And, um, what do you do every day to make sure you get enough sunlight, full spectrum daylight? Sure thing. Uh, so I tend to be a bit of a late chronotype. Uh, so I'm more of a night owl than an early bird. And for, for people like me, it's really important to get that morning uh, blue light signal. It, it's actually, they both work in tandem. So you want to get um, bright, light during the early parts of the day and you want to reduce blue light at night is um, the effect of what we're after. And um, what I try to do is go for a walk, um, but I personally don't wear sunglasses in the winter. Um, different people have different 
takes on this, but there isn't much UV light in the winter. Um, and it's really important to get that bright white signal. In the summer, you know, you could make the case that it still makes sense to wear sunglasses because the light outside is so bright anyway. And there's potentially something to protecting your eyes from UV. Uh, but that would be kind of the main thing. Uh, some people have found in the winter that these seasonal affective disorder lamps tend to be helpful, uh, something like the uh, Verilux Happy Lights. And they do work, but I would say that you should not um, put them so close to your face because there are potentially some unknown impacts of putting a, a hugely intense light source so close to your face uh, like they recommend. Um, it, just to dive into it briefly, like to get the 10,000 lux that they recommend, um, you actually have to put the happy light six inches away from your eyes, which is super close. Um, so I would say be more realistic, put it a few feet away, and um, it can probably help you. But um, you should only use those types of things in the morning and early afternoon. And at, in the late afternoon and evening, you should start to think about reducing your blue light exposure. The other thing is, um, in terms of your devices, you should start to dim them down. So um, what I like to say is for the evening, dim them down to a comfortable level where you can still see everything really well, but it's dimmer than the brightest setting. And you may also consider um, setting up a night mode on your device, something like Flux or Night Shift, which will um, basically do the same thing that Bedtime Bulb is doing, which is um, not only reducing the brightness, but it's um, removing some of the blue content in addition from the light. Do you think sitting in front of a sunny window on a winter day um, gets you the full spectrum light? Or do you need to be outside? It's probably, it's best to get outside. Sitting in front of the window is definitely better than not sitting in front of the window. I know it's tough in the winter because it's cold. You know, people don't want to go outside. It, it, it's hard to say, but I think that you should try to go outside in the winter. Um, even if it's only for a couple minutes, like a couple minutes is better than nothing. But yeah, if you can sit close to a window, that's helpful too. One last thing about the bedtime bulb. Um, I am really actually kind of obsessed with it. I love the light that it gives off. It's like the perfect light bulb for me. Um, I just love it so much. Quick plug, everybody. It's real. It's actually awesome. You mention um, that it's – well, you've mentioned here and then also you know, on the, on the website and on the packaging, it's, it's designed to be your nighttime bulb. Um, I'm guessing that there's nothing wrong with using it all day. But like for me, ideally, I would have one in every single lighting fixture in my house. Um, is there any reason why not to do that? Or is it is it truly like I should only be having it like on my bedside table for nighttime? There's nothing wrong with it. You can definitely use it any time of the day. Um, I would just say that it's very important to get that outside uh, blue light signal as much as you can. Um, or not really as much as you can, but, you know, if you can go outside for five minutes in the winter, that is really good. Um, you know, better than not going outside at all. It's just that um, most indoor lighting doesn't really have too much blue light, but Bedtime Bulb has, like, still has a lot less. 
So you definitely want to get that uh, daytime signal uh, somehow, whether it's through your artificial lighting or through going outside, which is the best source of light. Do you have any any uh, testimonials? Absolutely. You know, we've we've served um, tens of thousands of customers, so it's um, you know we've had to, we've had the opportunity to hear some interesting stories and get some interesting feedback about the product. So um, we've heard from several people that they used to use uh, sleep aids like Tylenol PM, and now they rarely use them. So that's a huge plus. Uh, the number one thing that we hear from people is that it helps them set the tone for the evening. So um, I, th- I think this is more due to the, um, the color and brightness of the light than the actual biological effect that it's happening, that it's having. But um, just like the difference in um, color and brightness of the light, it's a much warmer, like almost like a candle type light than a regular light. Um, a lot of people say that that is uh, super helpful to kind of set the tone for the last hour of the day um, to, to be like, okay, it's time to stop checking Instagram every 10 minutes, checking work email. You know, I have to slow things down. Um, so, you know, even though that is a bit of a placebo effect uh, in terms of the actual effectiveness of the product, I think that that's super helpful. Um, but we are you know, we are seeing a lot of evidence that it's working and um, we are actually working now on some trials. They're not clinical trials. They're more case studies right now. Um, But uh, for some of the technical reasons that bedtime bulb reduces blue light um, while still giving you a nice quality of light, uh, we're we're working on some case studies uh, with some other lighting researchers that are um, hopefully going to show that, uh, you know, this kind of thing is effective from a biological perspective as well in terms of the level of melatonin and uh, certain other sleep metrics. That's really interesting. I, I wonder if they'll find that it actually helps um, dementia and depression and things like that, clinically speaking. I know we have a lot of anecdotal evidence, but are, are those the types of things they're looking into? Uh, we have hopes that it's going to help with things like dementia, but we can't say for sure right now um, if it actually helps, just because it's uh, pretty difficult to do the research. Um, however, there are clinical trials that are going on in the space around um, specifically this issue of circadian rhythm disruption and dementia. And they and there are other studies that have already been done that shows that this type of light um, does help with this type of thing. And we actually do provide this type of light. So, you know, we can't say for sure that our bulb uh, helps this, but we have pretty good reason to suspect that it is helpful. With that said, um, you know, lighting is one very important part of the sleep equation, but there are other impacts uh, to sleep as well, such as your caffeine intake, Uh, when you eat, um, your levels of stress and stimulation, like what do you do before bed? And this is the kind of thing that we're hoping to get more into as a company to help people understand how these inputs are affecting their sleep beyond light 
so that eventually more people can uh, sleep better without having to resort to drugs or, you know, any expensive therapies. That's our ultimate goal. That is super awesome. I love all of that. I'm so excited um, that we are partners and that people can find you on our website. You you and your work and everything you just explained really represents um, a huge part of what Lady Farmer is about, which is figuring out ways to live um, more sustainably and more slowly, more healthfully, um, and hopefully ultimately happier and more fulfilled. So um, we love that the bedtime bulb can be a part of that. Thank you, Greg. This has all been so interesting and we are so excited to have the bedtime bulb in our our, um, sustainable living shop online. Thank you. I was super glad to participate. And again, I'm super excited to be a partner as well. I hope that it wasn't too much from a technical perspective. I've tried to simplify it, but sometimes it's really hard uh, just because it's such a huge, um, hugely complex subject that we're still learning about. Where can people find you if they'd like to learn more about you and your research or the bedtime bulb? Absolutely. So the number one place uh, for bedtime bulb in particular is bedtimebulb.com, all one word. Um, and of course, we point to the Lady Farmer website. If, if you end up buying one, I strongly recommend picking one up there. And as well, um, I am growing my YouTube channel. So if you search my name, which is just Greg and then Yetter, which is Y-E-U-T-T-E-R on YouTube, you can find me. And um, I'm talking a lot more about these lighting um, subjects now and trying to put everything into perspective of like, how did we get to this issue of blue light being such a concern um, over time, over history? So if you're interested in all of that, uh, definitely check out my YouTube channel. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. What an enlightening conversation with Greg. Pardon the pun bringing us all back to the fundamentals of a healthy life. And it's inspiration that's really needed right now more than ever. Good light has everything to do with good sleep and goes right along with fresh air, exercise, good food, and you know it, good dirt to grow it in. So we hope you enjoyed this today. Thank you so much, Greg. Yeah, thanks, Greg. And definitely check out Bedtime Bulb on the Lady Farmer Marketplace. Um... And while you're in there, grab a copy of the Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living if you haven't already. Oh, and something I think we forgot to mention in the intro was that we are starting a Lady Farmer book club. So um, it's going to be pretty low-key and casual. um, But just kind of hang out around our Instagram and our newsletter for more updates on that. Um, The first one here at the end of April will be – we'll just kind of be chatting about our book, The Guide to Slow Living, and then we will announce the book for the next meeting, and we're really excited about it. We hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day, and tune in next time to The Good Dirt Podcast.